Welcome everyone to church again. You know, for 2,000 years, uh, the church, all the followers of Jesus have gotten together every week to study his word, to remember what he did for us, uh, to, to love on each other, to express our love and care for each other, and, um, and to worship God in spirit and in truth. God uh, uh, always loves when we set aside our time. Oh, Hey, everybody. Now you have sound. Sorry about that. That probably looked really funny with me just making voices and stuff like that. So uh, now my kids just came in and told me now we don't have sound. So now we do. Anyway, what I was saying, for 2000 years, we have been um, getting together as the church every week to study God's word, to worship him and to love each other. And that is still happening, that um, even though we can't go out to our um, church and we can't get together really, um, we are still gathering together to study God's word, to hear what he would have to say to us, to receive his love, and to then shed that love on each other, to, to just pour out love on each other. Um, so that's what we're doing here. We're, we're spending time um, worshiping him, studying his word, and now uh, we're going to get into that time. I just want to emphasize again real quick, if you have a need during this difficult time and uh, like food, we have, we have a lot of food available. Um, we've had some donations and some stuff. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you. Let us know so that we can come alongside and pray for you. And, uh, and a lot of times we get really distracted by all the stuff going on in this world and in our lives. And sometimes we just need a brother or a sister to come alongside us and say, hey, Jesus is in control. We're going to lift our eyes to him. We're going to put our hope in him, put our trust in him. We're never going to look to other things because he is in control. He's our God and he loves us. And this whole time is going to be used for good to anyone uh, who is called by God, loved by God. And uh, that's you. If you are here today, you are loved by God. And if somehow you have found yourself listening today, God has is calling you. He's drawing you to himself. So as we read the word, uh, let's pray. Let's dive in and see what God would speak to us through his word. Not what Sean would say. Uh, I don't matter. It don't, I don't care if you listen to anything I say. But his words are powerful and they can bring life where we were dead. And so let's give him our attention. Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I ask that you would speak to us very clearly. God, that you would you would bring conviction if we have been in sin, that you would bring forgiveness as we repent, as we turn away from everything and turn back to you, Jesus. You are all that matters. And, and Lord, this life will soon be over and, and only what's done for you will last into eternity. And so, Lord God, help us, teach us to trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be studying uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through it for a while now, and we're in chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 11 and going through verse 21 as we journey verse by verse by verse through the book of Mark. And I'm really excited to talk about today. Today we're going to be talking about phony Pharisees and forgetful followers. 
I don't know which one you are, but sometimes I'm both. Sometimes I'm a phony Pharisee. Sometimes I'm a forgetful follower. There'll be another group that we even talk about, Herod people that we're going to be learning about here in a minute. Um, But what we've been seeing is Jesus is going through the whole country of Israel, and he has been telling everybody God's truth. He's been telling them that God loves them. He's been telling them that they have sin that needs to be dealt with, needs to be forgiven, and that he was going to eventually do that. But Jesus not only told the Jews, he was just walking around talking to all the Gentiles. He just went on a tour of the Gentile areas there for like maybe eight months about. And he was ta- he took his disciples and he was out there. And then last week we saw that he had fed 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread. Uh, Miraculously, he fed them and gave all the glory to God, uh, but proving that he was a supernatural, he is God in human flesh, and so his message needs to be heard and listened to, and so that's where we're at right now. So right now, he he strolls back into the, the regular part of Israel and he gets approached by the Pharisees. So let's see what happens in Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him. Uh, that means uh, vigorously argue and not stop. Okay, that's that word dispute. Seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Think about those words. They're arguing with him. They're seeking a sign. Oh, Jesus, just show us a sign. And they're testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say it to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them and getting into a boat again, departed to the other side. So these Pharisees were the religious people, the conservative people. These these Pharisees, they prided themselves on being more holy than anyone else. And they had a reason for doing that. You see, throughout Israel's history, they had a terrible, terrible problem with idolatry where God would save them, God would love them, they'd say, we love you, God, and then a few years later, they would stop going to church, they would stop studying his word, and they would start worshiping other things, other idols. And so it became a cycle in their life where they always put other things before God. And so these Pharisees, <coughs> excuse me, after uh, a couple thousand years of this, these Pharisees came along and they said, we will never again do that. So they got really hardcore about following God or following his rules. But they had a major, major problem. It wasn't from their heart. It was an outward way of saying, we're God's people and we're better than all the other people. And so the root of it was pride. They tried harder than all the other people. They worked harder. They really only cared about following the rules. (coughs) They looked down on anyone who wasn't part of following uh, their their rule following club. They looked down on them and said, "You know what, you guys, you guys aren't really making God happy. You, God's not pleased with you." <clears throat> but like I said, their hearts were far from God. They really didn't want to know God. They didn't, and they didn't want to love God. A relationship with God for them wasn't about people 
connecting with God. It was about me proving myself to God. Not about drawing near to him as a child, but about proving that I deserve to be to, to have his affection, to have his approval. <clears throat> um, and they, they wanted everyone to be impressed with their lives. In other words, they wanted the glory that only God deserves. And so we call these people hypocrites. They, Jesus called them hypocrites. We're going to see in a minute. And even today, we have many, many, many hypocrites. I'm sure in my life at various times, I have been a hypocrite. And I find great freedom in actually saying, I used to be a hypocrite at times in my life, and Jesus has forgiven me. He has transformed me. He has changed me because he, he wouldn't let me get away with it because this is not the way to know him. Jesus, he's coming back into town right now after this few months on the road with, uh, you know, spending time with all the Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles were hated. The Jews just thought they were the worst because Gentiles didn't care about God. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do anything to get to know God. They didn't go to church. They didn't care. So obviously the Pharisees would have, um, <coughs> my water went down my throat wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Obviously these Pharisees are not happy that Jesus has been spending time with Gentiles. Um, and, and so really this, these Pharisees have made up their mind that Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Or if he is the Messiah, we don't care because this is not the kind of Messiah we signed up for. The Messiah should hate the Gentiles like we do. <clears throat> the Messiah uh, shouldn't love his enemies. The Messiah should conquer his enemies. That's what these um, Pharisees really thought. We hate these people. Even though in the Old Testament, all the scriptures that they studied and memorized said that the Messiah would pour out love and light on the Gentiles and he would be their savior, they didn't pay attention to those things. God's word hit a wall in their brains and in their hearts because of their pride and because of hate. And they actually interpreted those scriptures, meaning that the Messiah would just conquer the Gentiles, not save them. And so Jesus walks into town and these religious people attack him right when he comes in with a barrage of arrows of words. You know, we're, we are not happy. We've been saving up all of our questions and our accusations for months while you've been gone. And they demand a sign from heaven. Now, I'm sure you have heard people demand a sign from heaven before. If God would just, you know, show a sign in the stars like Jesus is king, then I would follow him. Have you ever heard that? Well, maybe arguing with someone, maybe discussing truth or God with somebody. Well, if God would just prove it, then really a sign from heaven. It says that they, were, they did this testing him. They did not want an answer. They didn't. They had already made up their minds. Their hearts were hard. Because I want you to consider all the things that they have already seen. Check this out. Jesus had already healed sick people from every disease. 
even people who had like no arms and no legs and were crippled and had leprosy, all these diseases, Jesus healed every single one. Never does it say Jesus did not heal someone. That's quite the track record. Then he had actually raised dead people. So just to show you that he's not some really good doctor, Jesus says, I can actually raise the dead. And the Pharisees saw it. He had delivered people from demon possessions, showing he had power over the supernatural world. He wasn't just a man. He had walked on water, showing he had power over the physical world. And the very things that we think the whole world is based on, Jesus overcomes them. He has power over them. He calmed the storm. Same thing. He had twice multiplied uh, just a little bit of food to feed thousands of people. One time, uh, about 20,000 people. One time, 4,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. And maybe most, most powerfully, Jesus had opened the word of God and preached it clearly and, and helped the normal people understand what God's word said. Jesus explained it in a way that people could understand. And, and so we see, as we've, as we've been studying Mark a couple times, the people said, uh, we have never seen anything like this. And the Pharisees were with them in that. We've never seen anything like this. And then, and then in Mark chapter 7, it said, he does all things well. The people were just like, this guy is perfect. This guy is amazing. He never does anything wrong. So why are the Pharisees asking for another sign? That's the thing, okay? If you don't believe Jesus is from heaven after witnessing all this, then you have made a predetermination in your heart that you don't want to believe. That's just the truth. Jesus knows it, and his response is going to show that. But if Jesus is who he says he is, this is the problem the Pharisees have, okay? If Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus has come from heaven and his power really is from God and he's doing all these things because he's God, then that means I am not in control anymore. And the Pharisees loved being in control. They love telling people what to do, bossing them around, basically being the head of a religion, a whole country, did what they said and looked up to them and said, you guys are awesome. But Jesus says, I don't need you to do that. I am God. I am going to save these people. I don't need you to do that. So their, their importance is getting slashed. Okay? No one needs me anymore. I'm just like everybody else. These are the things that are going to be going through the Pharisees' minds. And their pride is never going to let them accept Jesus. But we find out later in the book of Acts that many of the Pharisees do come to believe in Jesus, do choose to follow him, which is a miracle of, of God in and of itself. But I want us to take a, a, a look at our own lives. Are we Pharisees in this way? Or do we, like, when we think about Jesus, is it threatening to us? 
that he is God and that he he demands to be the boss of our life. He says, if anyone keeps my commands and follows me, they're going to be the ones that go to eternal life. Is that a threat to us? Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to take up his cross daily and follow me, which means you have to say no to yourself and your own plans, yes to Jesus, and turn to him every day and follow him to death. Follow him, giving your life as a living sacrifice for his glory, for his plans. No thought of myself, no thought of self-preservation, no thought of self-glory, no thought of self-anything. It's all about Jesus. Jesus says, that's what it is with me. Do we want to follow him like that, or do we want to reject him like the Pharisees and say, well, if he would just give us another sign. See, people with pride, like Pharisees, they just, they've already made a decision because they they don't want to give up that control. They don't want to humble themselves before God. But see, there's another kind of people, people who are poor, people who are just sinners, people who are broken, these people tend to really accept Jesus rather quickly. People who know that they are wrong and needy and, and need help. People who don't have it, have it all together, they have an easy time accepting God's help. It's like someone who falls down and they're all bloody because they've fallen down and someone offers them a hand and says, I am here for you. They are much easier, quicker to reach out that hand and say, yes, help me. I receive your salvation. I receive your help. But those who uh, have it all together, who think that they're, they're doing just fine, they have a hard time acknowledging that they need Jesus. They're blind to their own sin. Well, look at how Jesus responds to this, because this is pretty intense. It says he sighed deeply in his spirit. And the the Greek word there is he snorted like a horse. It's just like, oh, you guys, I'm so, I, I, I can't handle this. He said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign is going to be given to this generation. And then he left them. Isn't that sad? He left them. And he got into a boat, went to the other side. Jesus is deeply affected by their decision to disbelieve, to reject him. Jesus is saying, you won't believe a sign. I am literally a sign right in front of you. There's two basic problems with signs and for people who are always asking for a sign and say, I would follow God, I would follow Jesus if there was a sign. There's two problems with that kind of philosophy. The first is that when whenever one sign is given, another sign is also desired. It's never good enough. No matter what Jesus men, no matter what Jesus did, these men would never believe. He could have opened the heavens and caused a million angels to appear, but they would have wanted to see more, or they would have just said, that's a coincidence. He could have done any number of signs, and they would have always wanted one more. And the same is very true today. People are never satisfied. 
And if they come to God because of a sensational sign, they they develop a thirst for that and they think that it's always going to be a sensational sign and that is not a healthy way to follow Jesus because Jesus doesn't want us to follow him by signs. This brings us to number two. Jesus says we follow him by faith, not by signs. Signs don't save anybody. Faith does. That's what the Bible says. Jesus could have done all the signs imaginable, but it never would have saved a single soul unless that soul reached out to him in simple, childlike faith. Faith. God, I need you, and God, I'm going to trust you. Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. That's faith. I believe that you are are who you said you were. It isn't miracles that save souls. It is faith. But when there's faith, then the greatest miracle ever happens, which is he transforms and saves a dirty, rotten sinner like me and you. He transforms us. He forgives us, doing an impossible miracle of forgiving us of our sin. Our great sin, he washes away in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he offers that to you and to me, that miracle. That's it. So it says he left them. He left them. Jesus isn't going to stick around and try to argue someone into heaven. He, he does a lot of communication with these guys. Throughout the, the, the Gospels, he has uh, more conversations with the Pharisees and trying to help them understand than almost with any other group. He is constantly talking with them, especially in the middle chapters of Matthew and then John. It's like he is constantly discussing with them. But at a certain point, he says, you know what? I'm done because I know it's not going to make a difference in your life. In, in Psalm 81, 2, it says, I, I have given them over to stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. In other words, I'm not going to try to argue you forever. I'm here. Jesus is real. Jesus is Lord. If you don't want to believe that, you can go your way because God is a gentleman. He's never going to force someone to come. He will plead with you. And he will say, I will not send you to hell except over the body of my dead son. You have to step over his body to go to hell. But God will not argue with you. He offers it. He says, I love you. And the proof of my love is is, uh, undeniable. But I will not argue with you into hell. So now we're going to shift our, shift our attention from these phony Pharisees to forgetful followers. Now when the disciples had, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf in the boat. Now I want you to remember right now, where did they just come from? They had just come from the feeding of the 4,000 people. And what did it say was left over after God took these seven loaves and fed 4,000 people? It says they picked up seven human-sized baskets full of leftovers of bread. And, And it says here, basically, that the disciples forgot to bring any of it. 
<laughs> uh, they had really kind of messed up. They had just brought one loaf. Maybe had just kind of fallen into the boat. And they, they had just... So what are they worried about is my question. You just saw Jesus multiply all this bread and take care of people. What are they really worried? Well, Jesus can obviously feed them. Um, and I think what's going on here is that um, this idea that God won't help me out if I'm the one that messed up and caused the problems that I find myself in. That God likes to get back at us, or God is always trying to teach us a lesson by the consequences that we feel. And, and those are true sometimes, but God's grace and his love are also just as reliable as his loving discipline in our lives. Let me just tell you this. God isn't just wanting to discipline you. He first wants to develop a relationship with you where you trust him and you know that he's not going to step out on you when you make a mistake. He will never step out on you because you make a mistake. He is very willing to give you forgiveness and grace even when you were the one that messed up. And these disciples need to learn this. They need to get this developed and planted in their heart. When we forget something, when they forget something, he wants us to learn that we can really come to him for everything, especially when we've messed up. And see, you know, Christian sin a lot. It's not just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you immediately are transformed, but we wrestle with the same things probably more than everyone else in the world because the enemy is now tempting us even more because he doesn't want us to, to be able to share the truth of God's love with this world. So when we mess up, we, ha we always have this temptation. We always have this idea that we need to go away from God and spend some time in time out or God is angry with us. And Jesus right here, he's stopping that. He's saying, guys, when you mess up, do not run away from me. Run to me. I will not reject you. I will not just um, uh, make you feel horrible about it at, at all times. I am full of love and full of forgiveness first. And I may discipline you. And there may be consequences depending on the situation. But it's always love first. And here's the secret, guys. Here's the real secret. Ready? You always mess up. As a follower of Jesus, you will mess up more than you think. Even when you think you did it right, you forgot something. You are not perfect. You didn't do it perfect. And so God is constantly upholding you with the hands of his grace. He is constantly, by his spirit, helping you, even when you don't know it. Even when you think you did a good job and you're like, dad, did you see how, how good I did? And he's like, yes, I did. Now you didn't see the 10 things you dropped while you were carrying your backpack that I picked up for you, but I still love you. And this is all based on my love for you. See guys, our hope in this life and, and about being transformed as a believer is not that we will learn how to do everything right. That's not it but that we will learn to trust Jesus to do the ministry that we are called to do. To live the life that we are called to live is by faith. That's it. 
It's not about us learning all the right answers or all the right strategies. Like right now, who knows if we're doing this right, like doing online church versus getting together or having, having dads lead church in their own homes or whatever. I don't know what the right answer is, but I want to learn to trust Jesus every step of the way because he has, he has planted that in me, that that's the right way. And that's what his word says here. While they were worried about lunch, Jesus, look at this, he wants to take them deeper to understand truths spiritually about uh, really what's going on in their world and in our world today. It says, he charged them saying, take heed, uh, therefore, of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he brings up two groups of people, the Pharisees and people who are like Herod. Herod was a king, very worldly king. He was uh, just lived a life of sin, didn't care about God at all, didn't go to church. The Pharisees were people who went to church all the time. Jesus says, you got to beware of the leaven of both of those groups. Leaven represents sin or something that's wrong that will infect every part of your life. And so this is what, what Jesus says. And they, the disciples, reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive? I think I had a problem here. Hang on. Okay. There may have been a little problem with the stream there, but looks like it's all right now. So back to our text. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason is because you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five lives, five loaves for the 5,000 people, uh, how many baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Jesus is saying, guys, I am not intimidated by you forgetting the bread. And that's not really what we're dealing with here. I'm not always trying to, to, to come down on you for your failures. Your weakness is not the problem. Your, your mistakes are not a problem for me. But let me tell you what is a problem, Jesus says. The Pharisees, the way they do things, and Herod and Herod people in the way they do things. That is a problem for me, Jesus says. The Pharisees, again, they were hypocrites. And Jesus saying, that does not work with me. I'm sorry. That's very important for you guys to learn. The Pharisees were religious men, but their religion was external. Only what they did on the outside. It did not change the hearts. They claimed to love the Lord, but were nothing but religious fakes and phonies. That's why I called them phony Pharisees. They were... Um, and what they did is they taught the people, live like us and do the things we do, and then you will make God happy. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not what God is looking for. In fact, when Jesus is talking to them in Matthew 23, he says it like this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land to make a, 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 con a convert, and when he is made, you make him twice as, son of hell, as much a son of hell as you. Jesus saying, 
your way of trying to prove yourself to God and trying to, to show that you're awesome or righteous people by your works, it does not work with me, Jesus says. The second group of people Jesus mentions is the Herod people, people like Herod. And these people love sinning. They love partying and, and, and whatever God says to do, hey, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. God's Ten Commandments, out of here. I got one commandment. Whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus says, that won't work with me. I'm sorry. These people hate rules. They hate restrictions. These are worldly, or we call them secular uh, people who had, in, in that day, they joined forces with King Herod and the Romans who were just pagan. They worshipped anything. They worshipped the stars and the moon and war and sex and anything that was wrong. They, they worshipped those things. And so they were called Herodians. And, and the leaven of their lives, if, if you get this philosophy in you of saying, well, it's really about whatever I want to do and whatever makes me happy and whatever uh, fun I want to have, Jesus says, I'm sorry, we have nothing in common, you're not my people, and it's not going to work for you. We will be judged. That's how it goes. But Jesus calls both of these philosophies leaven, sinful. They will wreck you. They will ruin you. They will get all through your life and destroy every part. Leaven is, is, a, is a fungus that they put in bread. All the bread you eat has and They put a tiny little bit and, it, and, and this fungus basically farts and creates gas in the bread and it makes the bread, the bread to have bubbles in it that, that makes it rise and get fluffy. We like it like that. And, uh, and leaven the leaven of these philosophies is just like that, where it will spread through the whole of your life. Every, even a very tiny bit of these philosophies gets into our whole life. And, and your life is like a loaf of bread, Jesus is saying. And if you have either of these two philosophies, they will ruin your life. And what I know is that I've had both of these philosophies in my life at various times. And it, it, has, it has gotten into every part and it just brings confusion, chaos and eventually death. It doesn't work. Now, these philosophies, when you extrapolate them to our day, what we see is, is both the different political parties, they, they kind of latch on to one of these philosophies. And so the warning here is just as valid for us today. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees or the conservative people who think these actions make God happy. And beware of the, the Herodians, or basically what, what could be said of the liberal party sometimes, which says sin, just sin as much as you want. It doesn't matter. God is never going to judge us. And the, those two philosophies, and that is a broad generalization, and it certainly doesn't define the people, but as far as philosophies go, there's, there's danger in both sides. Jesus is saying, neither one works for me. So what does work? With Jesus, what is the right way? What's the point of this whole long Bible study that we're doing? What is the right way? It is faith in Jesus, not faith in my works like the Pharisees and not faith in just myself sinning and doing whatever I want, but faith in Jesus. See, you're going to show faith. You're showing faith right now. 
You're either, you either have faith in the philosophy of the Pharisees saying, I, I go to church, I do what's right, I, 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 I'm better than, than Hitler, I'm better than this person, I'm better than that person. You're either doing that and you have faith in that philosophy or you have faith in yourself and, and in your philosophy that there is no God and, and it doesn't matter what I do and I should just do what makes me happy and no one has the right to tell me what to do and just live sinfully. Or the third way is that you have faith in Christ. There's really only, there is only those three types of people in this whole world. No matter what religion they're a part of, no matter what political party they're a part of, it always boils down to those three groups of people. People who think it's about legalism, it's about what I do that God is looking for. Or number two, people who don't care we call this, in Bible words, licentiousness. In other words, they feel like they have a license to sin and just sin as much like the Herodians. They don't care. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to drink as much as I want, smoke as much as I want, sleep with whoever I want. It doesn't matter. I'm going to speak however I want. I'm going to treat people however I want because I am God. I get to decide what's right and wrong. God says, there's those type of people not going to work. The Pharisees, not going to work. Or the third group of people, those people who choose to trust in Jesus Christ. What he has done, what he did on the cross, who he says he is. People who will choose to trust in his works instead of the Pharisees who trust in their own works. We choose to trust in what Jesus accomplished for us. I'm not going to heaven because of anything I have done. I have failed at almost everything in my life. But Jesus, he succeeded, and his victory is given to me by grace. It's so wonderful. It's so free. He says, put your trust in me, and you get the works that the Pharisees wanted so bad. Those people who trust in Jesus turn away from sin to turn to Jesus. You can't hug two things at the same time. You can't be holding on to sin and say, I want sin and I want Jesus at the same time. You have to let go. And most of the time we let go of Jesus to sin and Jesus says, you can't do that. Hold on to me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. And Jesus asked this question at the end. After the long series of questions, he asked his disciples, he says, how is it that you do not let, uh, that you do not understand? He's saying instead of uh, a sinful uh, leaven filling your life and getting through every part of your life, Jesus says, let me fill your life. Let me fill your life. And uh, that is the offer that goes out to every single person um, in this country, in this world, anyone who's hearing this right now, you have stuck through through a long Bible study uh, with a weirdo talking on the internet, and I give you props. Good job. Um, but Jesus, he is speaking to your heart, and he offers right now his grace. He says, follow me, and I will make you my child. I will adopt you. I will forgive you of all sin. I will send my own spirit to live in your heart, in your life. I will make my home with you. I will accept you as my child. And I will teach you to, to follow me. 
that that offer goes out to anyone that's out there. And so uh, if if you want to make this decision to follow Christ today, that is that is what I'm praying for. And it is what the whole of your life has been going to maybe this moment where you have a decision to make. I'm going to follow my philosophy or I'm going to follow Christ. And I encourage you, follow Christ. And if you do, you may say a prayer, something like this. Father or God, I have not been uh, following you. In fact, I have sinned and I have fallen short of the standard that you have set. Those ten laws, those ten commandments, I have broken them. I have lied, I have stolen, I have sinned. And so I do deserve uh, your judgment. But God, I'm hearing today that Jesus became my substitute and uh, his, your judgment fell upon him that should have come upon me. And now you offer me free forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want it. I accept it. I pray that you would forgive me and help me to follow you all the days of my life. I want to live for your glory. I want to follow Jesus and be his disciple. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to end with a song right now. Forgive me, I am not a great singer. Uh, but uh, you guys can join with me in singing the song by Phil Wickham called High Above. Your mercy falls with the rain Your power's displayed in the wild ocean Your presence will always remain Jesus, your love reaches to the heavens. You are God high above the earth. The angels sing for you. Mountains melt at the sound of your name. The oceans roar for you. All of creation sings your praise. You are God high above the earth. Jesus, you're all that I need. Here is my life. Come and take it from me. Jesus, you make me complete. You by my side, I can know no boundaries. You are God high above the earth. Oh, the angels sing for you. Mountains melt at the sound of your name. The oceans roar for you. Gives you praise, the angels sing for you. Mountains melt at the sound of your name, the oceans roar for you. All of creation gives you 
Jesus, I thank you for your great and everlasting love, that you would choose sinners to hear your words, that you would choose us from the foundation of the world. And I don't care how long we have been running away from you. You will never give up on us until we breathe our last breath. Lord, I pray that we would consider our end, that we would consider that life is not guaranteed and promised, uh, but it, it can be short and things can happen that make it even shorter. And God, I pray that we would get right with you, every single person who's hearing me right now, that we would receive your grace, that we would receive your forgiveness, that we would choose to follow you. Lord, work powerfully in our in our nation. Work in every state and in every city. I pray that you would fill your people with a with a fire in their hearts to share your love and grace with this world. Teach us to reject ourselves and to follow you. Teach us to reject any philosophy uh, that doesn't lead to life and follow you who freely gives life to anyone who calls upon you. Lord, teach us to call upon you daily. In your name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys and connect with us on Facebook or any way that uh, you want to. We will uh, talk to you very soon. Bye now.